I think by definition, innovation these days is open. I think the time where you could control this combination of technologies, combination of, of possibilities, that's gone. A lot of industries don't stay within their niche. If you see Google developing cars, I bet that 20 years ago BMW or Mercedes wasn't benchmarking against a search engine. I think the drive for change and the drive for transformation obviously comes from the sector itself, which is highly competitive, but also from abroad. We have over 500 different uh, collaborations with startups uh, in, in over 18 countries, I think. Here on the campus, we have a 5G incubation lab where people can start testing innovations with 5G technology. What can it bring? What could I do with it? What is important is having openly communicated visions. Everybody in the management team should be able to tell the whole story and every manager should be able to tell the whole story, even if it's not in their domain of responsibility. This is CRNA TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Kun Vermeulen, who is the uh, Group CIO of Orange uh, Worldwide. A very warm welcome, Kun. Thank you, Hendrik. Kun, you are a commercial engineer uh, with a specialty in IT. And you uh, started your career 28 years ago as a consultant at the CSC. Uh, and then you joined Belgacom, the uh, national uh, telco operator in, uh, in Brussels. And uh, you switched in 2012 uh, to Orange. Uh, where you first joined as IT Transformation Director. Then in 14, you became uh, the uh, CIO for Orange France. And now recently, you've been promoted to Group CIO and you're responsible uh, for IT at uh, Orange Worldwide. Uh, so could you tell us a bit more about yourself? Why did you go into, uh, into IT? And maybe if you would have not gone into IT, what would you have done? God knows. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, well, I'm, I'm from the Commodore 64 generation, so uh, the 80s, um, I had a professor in mathematics who was passionate about IT and mm -hmm. he explained us at, at noon what you could do with computers. Yep. And um, that's how I got into it and we started uh, doing all kind of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and what attracted me to IT was not that much the technicity of it and the how it was constructed and how the, yep. the CPUs were. <laughs> it wasn't was not too much interested in that, but what can you do with it? Huh? Yep. What, what can it serve? Making all kind of, of, of nice stuff and then still counting uh, how much bits and bytes were left on your memory. Yep. Uh, things which all of us have forgotten by now. Yep. Um, and that has always triggered me uh, and I continue to do that. And when I had to make a choice, and, and if you're 18 years old, you don't know that much about the future, what the future job really is about. Yep. However, I knew I wanted to do something with uh, that combination of IT and the more business aspect of it. So that's why I chose the uh, studies that I've, I've done, uh, a commercial okay. engineer with, with IT. And to be honest, I didn't regret it. And to answer to your question, what, what would have I done if I, uh, if I didn't do that? Uh, first of all, I don't know. God knows. I uh, uh, would have loved to be a skier, but that's <laughs> not the thing <laughs> not you can do in, in, in Flanders. But, no. Uh, the um, uh, so the most probably that I would have, would have done, and what I doubted between uh, the two, between the other studies was doing medicine, uh, okay. becoming a doctor. But to be very honest, the the thing that I was it also intrigued me very much, uh, mm -hmm. doing surgery and, and opening people's bodies <laughs> and, and fixing things. 
uh, that intrigued me, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't like to go to school. Uh, I found uh, doing long studies, I really didn't see it. Uh, so uh, oh, yeah. I limited myself to five <laughs> years of engineering That studies. was enough. Yeah. I was enough, and then uh, you could go into the real world uh, yeah. and uh, do things for real. And, and uh, So it's a choice you make, and maybe it was maybe the wrong choice, maybe the right choice, God knows, but... Uh, well, you made, a, you made an nice I assume it. <laughs> I assume that. So you're now at, at Orange here, at, yeah. the, at group level. Tell us a bit, give us a bit of context. What is the Orange, the group, the company all about? What are the different uh, customers that you serve? And what is it that Orange does really, really well? Yeah. Well, Orange, for those who don't know Orange, it's, it's traditionally known as a telecom operator. Mm -hmm. uh, um, today we call it the connectivity, uh, enhanced connectivity, mm -hmm. um, as well serving the retail market, mm -hmm. the B2B market, but also the wholesale market. Uh, so yep. there's a... Uh, between operators, there's a lot of traffic. Uh, there's a lot of uh, agreements also going on. Uh, next to that, we have also um, more uh, the IT and connectivity and network services towards the uh, large corporations uh, with yeah. uh, Orange Business Services for cloud services, uh, data, um, data intelligence services, uh, and system integration business, uh, yeah. th that kind of uh, activities. And then thirdly, and since a couple of years, we have also uh, developed our financial services with mm -hmm. uh, Orange Bank. Uh, oh. Orange Bank today active in, in France and Spain. Um, and uh, very important for the Middle East and Africa region, uh, Orange Money, uh, where we have over 18 million uh, customers. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, well, so that's, that's, and and then we, we have the cyber defense, which oh, yeah. is also quite important yep. uh, activity. Uh, we have over 1,200 cybersecurity experts, uh, so um, this is also... And the regions that you serve are Europe and Africa? Mainly uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa. Okay. So that's the geographical uh, place we're uh, And can you give us some numbers in, I don't know, revenue, number of people, yeah. how big is the group? So roughly we have 42 billion uh, revenue um, on a yearly basis. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have about 13 and a half, I think, uh, EBITDA um, margin on uh, or EBITDA bad. results <laughs> on an, uh, on the last uh, last year. Yeah. Um, our uh, we have about if you count all our customers, we have 580 million customers. So wow. uh, <laughs> it's really spread all over the, yep. the planet, I would say. Yep. Uh, so it's it's a large footprint with a different markets also. Uh, the, the market, uh, as you can imagine, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa is not the same as the market yep. in France or in Belgium or in Spain and even yeah. in Europe, uh, we see differences in the market. So the local presence, uh, and even within France, we see that the local presence uh, of, of uh, our, our business people is quite important because there are differences in the market, although seen from a very long distance, and also it's all about telecommunications, yeah. it's all about financial services. We see that the markets are, and also the positioning of Orange is different. Uh, oh, yeah. um, in some countries, we are the historically <coughs> or the incumbent uh, yeah. uh, uh, operator where we offer fixed mobile and, and all kind of convergent services. In other countries, we are the challenger. Uh, we are number two, uh, with only, for example, the mobile network. And in some countries, the mobile business is primarily prepaid. In others, it's, it's postpaid. So no. the, the landscape is, is quite different, although it, from long distance, it may all seem the, seem the same. So, uh, And the number of people overall? Uh, you mean uh, employees? Yes. 142,000 approximately. 142,000. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a big organization, right? It's Tom, rather <laughs> big, yeah. <laughs> so it must be quite an honor to be the group CIO. And I mean, you, that's an important driving uh, function, I would say, within the group. Uh, 
Yeah, well, what I'm what I'm in charge of is, is the uh, making sure that the IT all over the different uh, uh, organizations works fine and, yep. and, and is, is governed in a proper way. Uh, obviously, we have local CIOs who are in charge of operation, as I, I did was before for Orange France. France yep. is approximately the half of the group. Okay. Uh, I was operationally in charge, and, and the CIOs are really uh, the, the, the local presence and the local forces for doing that. Next to that, I have also um, the development of, of all the, uh, what we call the innovations and um, the, the services that yep. we offer on top of the networks. So it could be financial services, it could be uh, communication services, obviously, but also TV, uh, Wi-Fi uh, solutions, so extenders and things like that. Is, no. that's all, that we develop on a group level, that's also on the market. It must be a very interesting time to be in, in, in a company like this because there's a lot of things are changing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so it's really becoming a platform company yeah. and an and ecosystem where you have and banking and connectivity and data and yeah. television. It's... it's the, the breadth of services is, is, uh, yeah. is becoming bigger and bigger. It's a very interesting market in the sense that uh, competition... At one hand, you have the demand, which is exponentially increasing. The demand yeah. for broadband connectivity, yeah. uh, either mobile uh, or, or fixed. Yeah. Uh, we know it all. We just want more and faster, faster. <laughs> <laughs> internet. Yeah. Uh, internet, data services, uh, ease of use. Uh, so we, we will, on the other hand, we see that the willingness to, to pay more for that. Huh? It's not that you're... Uh, it's conceived as being normal to switch from, from 3G to 4G to 5G and download movies in two seconds. That all seems logical. On the other hand, uh, people don't necessarily want to pay for yeah. that. Uh, and the investments we have to make as operators is just huge. Huh? Yeah. give you an order of magnitude. We, we're investing on a yearly basis over 7 billion euros in the networks and, and other activities, but big chunk on it on networks. Yeah. Um, so, if you have that in a market which is highly competitive, which is the case in, in nearly all European markets and, and also uh, African markets, uh, very fierce competition. Um, it's a it's a very interesting business model where you have a booming demand, yeah. uh, not always recognized neither by financial markets, uh, or not always valorized. Mm -hmm. uh, the valorization is not always there. And yet, on the other hand, you have the um, the willingness of customers to pay more for these extra services, which is yep. a challenge. So that requires operators to transform themselves, to automate, but also to go for looking for additional growth because just augmenting your tariffs is not going to work in, yep. in certain landscapes. Huh? In, in, in France, it's, uh, we see it's very complex. And, mm -hmm. and that's the reason why we invested in, in adjacent services, as we call them, yep. huh? so the, the banking, the, the, mobile, uh, the mobile banking services. Uh, but also additional uh, services that we do in other countries um, to to grow that offering uh, towards our customer, look for growth, yep. and also making sure that the we position ourselves uh, always as a premium uh, supplier, so that yep. the customer satisfaction, the service, and the quality of our network is premium to make sure that we can uh, keep uh, investing in our network and. Yep keeping our customers willing to pay for that service. So the drivers for change and for transformation are uh, customers demanding more for the same, is, is, um, is faster and yeah. uh, faster all the time, 4G, 5G, 6G uh, coming up, what, and, 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 uh, and growth is an important uh, thing to, 
basically uh, being able to finance the, the big investments. What other drivers are there still? Is competition uh, that, a big or so on? That's looking from an, I would say, telco-specific uh -huh. standpoint. Yeah. I think in the world of today, it's, it's, uh, it's going much broader. Mm -hmm. uh, I gave the example of, of uh, telcos going to other sectors. Yep. The opposite is happening too. So I think thanks or due to, depending on how you look at it, to the emergence of, of technology and acceleration of different technologies, we see that um, a lot of industries don't stay within their niche. Yep. Uh, they, uh, uh, if you see uh, Toyota designing cities without cars, <laughs> and if you see Google developing <laughs> cars, yep. uh, I bet that uh, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, BMW or Mercedes wasn't benchmarking against a search engine. No. It wasn't benchmarking <laughs> against Google. No. They're probably the biggest threat or opportunity, not only no. for them, but for the whole mobility industry. So no. uh, with the self-driving car. So I, I think the, the drive for change and the drive for transformation obviously comes from the sector itself, which is highly competitive, but also from abroad. And no. so it's, it's a worldwide, worldwide movement that is ongoing that uh, requires uh, companies to fundamentally change uh, yeah. and, and to fundamentally rethink and, and re-evolve uh, towards, um, towards new business models and new activities. Yeah. What are the, the disruptors? I mean, what are the, is it the, 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 the Zooms and so on? Or, or what, what is disrupting from, where do you see the, the scale-ups and, and the, the fast companies that could take away important chunks of your markets? I think the most dangerous ones are the ones you don't see. Uh -huh. uh, I think, um, and, and I think that's key in the, in the transformation that um, IT, but in extent, so the company has to go through. Uh, due to that that evolution in in, in the markets, in the industries, uh, what was possible, what wasn't possible uh, ten years ago, fifteen years ago on industrial scale, if I mm -hmm. think about AI, has become perfectly normal today. Uh, yeah. Having an intelligent chat that works with a chatbot 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> maybe if you were lucky and you formulated it the right way, you had an yeah. answer which more or less received at something. Now today in our bank, for example, uh, I don't have the exact figures in mind anymore, but I think we do over 80 to 90% of our transactions through, uh, wow. through uh, a bot of customer service type transactions. So, uh, and leading to customer <laughs> satisfaction. Huh? Yeah. I'm not talking about leading to customer frustration. So. What was possible? Uh, so I think that changes uh, a lot from the, the technology side, mm -hmm. um, which makes newcomers um, may pop up uh, with, and if they pop up, it may be too late to see them. Yeah. So the key, uh, one I think most fundamental changes uh, that uh, large corporations like us have to, to go through and that we're going through is making sure that we get much more agile. Uh, agile yeah. being capable of adapting to what's really happening in the market uh, and not being stuck to yeah. uh, to what what you think because the uh, innovation I think is the only way out. But if you're your and innovation is on on different levels, eh? innovation is at uh, the level of technology. Obviously, mm -hmm. that's what we immediately think of if we we think about innovation. But secondly, it's about uh, the way we collaborate, also the way we yeah. do things internally. And thirdly, I think it's the most important, most important, or at least as important as a cultural change. Yeah. Is how, how, and with culture, I don't mean the, the, the posters on the wall telling, no, I really mean uh, how the way I define culture is 
how are things really being done here? Yeah. Uh, how is it really work? Besides yeah. the processes, what works, what doesn't work? Uh, changing that, changing that into um, uh, a culture which adapts and, and, and processes and technology and, and having that mindset that allows you to adapt quickly to what is changing in the market, mm -hmm. even if it's a newcomer you didn't see coming, you didn't have a five-year plan to anticipate what would be going on. Uh, that's, I think, where you will have the, the make or break in, uh, in yeah. the future. So a lot of things going on, a lot of changes, um, yeah. making and new competitors that you don't know yet. That could be very important. So disrupting forces. So innovation is, like you said, it's, yeah. and it's also your responsibility in, in the group to be uh, your head of, of innovation well, and development of yeah, services. Part of, well, of what everybody part of innovation. Everybody, a lot of <laughs> everybody's yeah, responsible yeah, for, uh, yeah, for, yeah. for in, innovation for the services. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Let's talk about uh, innovation, and uh, I would think the well, you already mentioned it. The way to innovate today is, is to be open and eh? to, to create an, an, an open culture for innovation. Yeah. It's to create uh, open processes uh, so that you have the necessary collaborations, and then to use the open technologies and, and, and the new technologies that, that are there. So let's talk about these three uh, aspects, uh, Kun. So on open culture and open people. Um, important is, I mean, in a huge organization like this, how do you, in God's name, how do you create a mind shift? How do you change a culture in a large organization like that? Besides putting some posters on the wall. <laughs> so how do you do that? I think the uh, transformation and, 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 and uh, changing culture is the key. Huh? Yep. And it's part of the innovation. Uh, because uh, I think it's the most difficult part. I, I, I refer often to it, it's like I've never been a smoker, but I understood <laughs> that getting rid of smoking is, is difficult. And the traditional uh, approach to transformation is you create a burning platform, you tell people what's in for it, yeah. and go for it. I think it's true, but it's not enough. Uh, I think the, uh, it's like, uh, when I said to smoking, I make the analogy, if you say to a smoker, um, you can get really badly ill by smoking, I think everybody knows it by now, and you can save a lot of money if you stop smoking. Burning platform. And what's in it for me? Yeah. A lot of people would have stopped smoking by now, which is not the case. So what no. makes it that the people still grab a cigarette in certain circumstances? Uh, I think that's the, the key point. Is it's, it's habits, changing habits. Yeah. And changing habits is not something you just declare. You just don't define it top down. And, and what, what you do is, I think, and that's the key part, is, is making people live other ways of doing things by accompanying them on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. By people who have no stakes personally in it, who accompany uh, on, a, on an operational level, on an operational way, due a long time. Huh? It's not just a, a two-day uh, course about innovation and, and mm -hmm. diff thinking differently. I think you have to accept it that changing habits, and if you go profoundly changing culture of a company and ch and transforming it really yep. it takes time you cannot i see a lot of people trying to rush it and say okay we're going to do another presentation it's going to the chief of the chief of the chief who's going to to drill it down mm -hmm. you won't get it it's changing the habits of the people so you have to do it yes it doesn't harm on the contrary that the chief of the chief of the chief says it yep. but you have to accompany it on the floor on the ground and accept that it takes time yep. uh, if we've done um, quite some agile transformation and throughout the, the French organization, but also internationally. And to give an order of magnitude, if you, you really get 
from a team which is well performing, uh, not badly performing teams, to getting to a certain level of maturity and agile, I think you have to count between 12 to 18 months. And mm -hmm. you just, although it's simple, uh, agile techniques aren't difficult. Just changing the culture, changing the mindset, making sure they really not don't act only agile, but <laughs> also think and, and, and are uh, working in a different way and, and mm -hmm. think in another way is uh, going beyond that. So just putting a, a soccer table in, in the room <laughs> and then having a stand-up in the morning, no. but really making them think value, making them think customer orientation, that takes time. And yep. I think you have to accept it. You have to be um, hard-headed huh, to, to make sure that you don't change cap, that you keep your, your North Star where you want to yep. go. Uh, continue to pass the same messages. Don't be disencouraged and continue to go for that, for that goal because it pays off. Huh? Yep. And, and if, if, it's, if it's not, it's going to be superficial and it will go as quick as culture will eat it. Huh? I mean, we say software eats the world. Culture swallows it all. Huh? You may have the best <laughs> software engineers of the world. If they don't have that mindset, if they don't have that willingness to, to think customer, to think value, to think, okay, what's, hap what's yep. really happening? It, my plan that I anticipated uh, of, of going there, does it really work that way? And how I'm going to test it, that the, the great idea I have for being in, in putting on the market in two yep. years, how will I test it that in three months it's still valid? Yep. Uh, that, and, and that's, is, if people have worked 20 years, 30 years in a certain way, you don't change that overnight. Oh, no. You have to accept it. And like I said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Huh? Everything. <laughs> Swallows everything. <laughs> so let's, well, to change culture and to change means that for people, you need to change that context. Right. And so I, I think it also starts at the top. Right. And it's, it, it starts with a different kind of leadership. Yeah. So do you have at Orange specific uh, programs in place to change the leadership style? And, and, and can you give some examples of that? Yeah. I think I fully agree with that because it's a Japanese saying, you know, it says uh, the, the fish rottens at the head. Uh, <laughs> so um, you can have all of that. And I thank you for remembering <laughs> me because you can have all of that, what I just said, accompanying people, explaining them mm -hmm. what to do. If the example they see of what they consider to be uh, the, the, the way to go because yep. if, if you're in charge of a company if you're the leader of the company you're supposed to be the example yep. people look at you uh, all the time yep. they interpret things so the moment you go uh, you don't behave as if you talk your transformation your, your change stops yep. uh, it, it's as simple as that so um, and it's difficult for somebody with uh, 10,000 people uh, responsibility under mm -hmm. his or her uh, responsibility or somebody who is uh, a developer uh, or a customer service rep uh, with no teams. It's individual change, changing behavior into teams. Yep. And it's as difficult and it's the same recipes for the leader as for, uh, I would say, a non-leader uh, to go through that. I think on the individual level, um, it may be even more difficult for leaders to accept that also they have to change. It's always easy to declare what others have to change, changing yourself and changing mm -hmm. uh, attitudes and, and, and also it's, it's, it's habits. Uh, changing habits is the most difficult for, for, for everybody. Absolutely. And, and I mean, the new style of leadership is to be more collaborative, to be more authentic, yeah. to be more open and not to have the traditional command and control that in the end was easier. 
So leading in a new way is, is more difficult than it was before. It challenges you because yeah. if, you're, uh, if you're in charge of, an, let's say, a team working in an agile way, uh, 150 people all together, and you do uh, what we call a PI planning, uh, so kind of the start of a kickoff, of a, yeah. for those who don't know the, the terminology, the kickoff of, of what you're going to do the next three months. As a leader, you're supposed to be there and explain concretely what, why, you're going to do. Yeah. So if you're, uh, you're, you're very exposed to, uh, you really have to know what you want to get for. Right? You're challenged by the teams because they are in the contact with the customers. They're in contact with uh, the reality on a daily basis. So if that disconnect is too, too big between the people making great ideas yeah. uh, uh, in an ivory tower and the reality, it doesn't work. So it, it's very confronting for yeah. uh, for people in, in, in power positions yeah. where before they could say, I want it this way because I want it yeah. and I don't have to justify myself. No, there you go. We have people asking you, and are you sure the customer wants it? How did we test it? How are we going to do this? How we? Yeah. And you do it with a team. Right? You don't do it alone, but it challenges you to make sure that you, you change that mindset, not for I want yeah. it because I'm the boss and because I think it's the, uh, the presidential project that should go through. But uh, does it deliver value? Does it serve customers? What problem does it solve? Can't we do it? How can we do it cheaper? How can we do it faster? Isn't there an easy way around? So, I can imagine that it's not easy to get everybody on board. That no? some people you just can't get on board. And I so you have to make so, some yeah. changes as well, yeah. both in, in the teams and, and in, on leadership level yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think and, uh, the, the most difficult, what I've seen in, in large organizations, the most difficult, and I think it's valid in smaller organizations too, it's like with a rocket. If a rocket starts going up uh, uh, to the moon or to, to <laughs> space, I think 90, over 95% of its energy is used for takeoff. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with, with transformations. It takes enormous amount of time before getting the, the momentum yeah. where people start seeing, okay, this seems to work, there it works, so maybe we should get interested in. Yeah. And once you get that in large organization, and I think when the moment people really understand what it's about, really feel, understand the sense of it, and not it's something forced top-down, but they really yep. understand why, they're convinced of it, they see it, they have their colleagues talking about it, that it's maybe not that bad, it's maybe a good idea, and it works great, and we have higher satisfaction from customers, from employees. At that moment, uh, you see that it accelerates, and that's a very satisfying uh, phenomenon, because then you see that the transformation goes much faster than you ever expected. No. But the takeoff and the, <laughs> the liftoff, I would say, of transformations and could, could get the momentum is, could be very can be very frustrating, takes a lot of effort, blood, sweat and tears, I would say. Yeah. No. So, Kun, um, changing culture uh, is, is already a difficult thing. The, the uh, pandemic that we have all been working from home and so on, was that a good thing or a bad thing for changing the culture in, in a big organization? Um, I think the fact that we started changing uh, already the culture um, a couple of years before mm -hmm. was, I think, really helpful because it's helpful for getting through the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I think, however, if you would have started uh, changing culture in a completely uh, everybody working from home kind of environment, it would have been more difficult because yeah. I think if you... Um, Starting change where everybody's working from home is more difficult because it's about creating trust. It's yeah. about creating enthusiasm. 
And let's be honest, you do that much easier when you have people in a room uh, all watching together than having a, a two centimeter square uh, uh, with the video of somebody's talking. No. Um, so I, I think we need changed a lot of practices, I would say, with remote working and I think in a positive way. No. And I think what we've done, uh, it has been said often, we haven't we managed to do in six months, we hadn't done in the, the past 10 years. I think no. that that's true. Uh, but it's changing the processes and, and some mindset about teleworking and remote working and everything has to be physical. However, I think it's the, the world after tomorrow where we have uh, hopefully again can talk and, and see each other in a normal way um, will be more about uh, a mixture of both. I think it still will be possible to, go, uh, to have physical meetings, having people working together in a very dynamic, a very natural way. Yeah. Uh, of course, combined with uh, remote working and, and, and teleworking. And, uh, because technology is changing how we can work dramatically. I mean, if you would have had this 30 years ago. It, yeah. But now with this high-speed connections with yeah. cloud and so on, it, it's... it's uh, Thanks so to the telcos. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Kun, let's talk about the process side of innovation. Yeah. Um, because, okay, we need to change the culture. But you also need to put in place the right processes and, and, and innovation labs and incubators and so on. And what are the processes that you, have, uh, and, you and, 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 and Orange in general have put in place to, to foster and to drive innovation? Yeah. Uh, Orange has a very rich history in, in uh, course, innovation. Yeah. Oh, we have a lot of uh, research, uh, historically research. We still do it. We have... Uh, uh, a lot of uh, collaborations with um, with universities. We mm -hmm. have patents. Uh, I think we're one of the biggest uh, creators of patents in, in Europe. So so it's we have that history of having of R and D, doing R &D yeah. which is not the same yeah. as innovation, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that um, if you look at companies as ours, we have a lot of technologically savvy people. Uh, mm -hmm. We have people, obviously, network, in yeah. IT, uh, platforms. Um, we have several tens of thousands of these people. Yeah. Uh, and if you look where change and innovation is coming from, it's coming from that side. Uh, a, lo a lot of, I would say, nearly everything of, of, of what's happening, what is revolutionizing <laughs> the, um, the, the world today is coming from technological evolutions and mm -hmm. tech-driven. Uh, yep. It could be biotech, it could be uh, IT, yep. wise, but it's coming from that. So, and we have a lot of people who are active, who are uh, on the blogs, who are on the, the, the communities outside the company. And where before a lot of people tended to put, or tend to put the IT guys and, and the tech guys as far away as possible <laughs> in the basement even. Uh, not, mm -hmm. It's the guys you don't want to see. Uh. Yep. Um, Although they are the ones, if it's well run, if it's well, uh, if they have the right mindset, they have the good attitude, uh, they are the ones who should be able to capture very fast emerging signals. No? Because the moment everybody talks about it on TV and then you have to get awake as IT or as, as, an, as a tech uh, department, you're too late. Uh, you're, you're completely bypassed at that moment. Yeah. So what is key is getting these people and getting that shift from IT... Uh, uh, talking about IT as in general, eh? but, uh, or tech department as, as seen as a cost center, no? to how do you get these guys, how do you benefit from that knowledge that you have and eh? that you tend to put away in the basement? How do you get them 
driving growth, change, identifying what could be threats or could be opportunities. How do you get them on board? Yeah. And I think the whole idea about shifting from an R&D lab environment where you had time, let's say in the 80s, um, because change wasn't going that fast, towards now where change is just accelerating on an exponential level, is that you can't afford to do it on an isolated way. You have to do it, I think, very quickly connected to reality, combined with that mindset I was talking about yep. before, making sure that these guys, when they capture something, you make sure that they can have the opportunity to... Uh, to explain it, uh, to to demo it, to test it, to put their hands dirty, yep. to know to, to make the distinction between the hype and the reality, um, so that they become not just the good guys uh, executing whatever marketing demands, but the good guys also driving yep. what could be done to the future. So I think that's a fundamental shift. Huh? It's it's not just uh, uh, putting it on a slide that makes it. And this is very concrete stuff that yep. you can do. Everybody knows. I think if you would ask CEOs and, and CIOs, if you ask them, how much does IT cost? Everybody can answer. Ask them, how much concretely does IT bring to the table on a yearly basis? Nobody can answer, mm -hmm. or very little. Yeah. Uh, I think that demonstrates the mindset in, in how, how much uh, cases a lot of IT organizations still are. Uh, we change that. Uh, we, we, for us, it's, it's different. We know it. Yeah. And it brings a complete other equation into the relationships, business ITs. We, we, the, our, our most mature teams, or what I consider as our most mature teams, you don't see the difference anymore between IT and business. They're completely embedded. Yep. They're completely working together. Uh, it's not it's IT's fault. It's a business fault. Business doesn't know what they want. The, the, and IT guys, they can't. No. The most mature teams we have, completely gone. They think value together. They prioritize as well uh, technical issues uh, as business uh, opportunities together. Thinking value customer as one team, delivering fast, uh, and, and that is that is key. Yep. Uh, so that's one part. And then the other thing is how do you uh, to answer your question on the on the process part? I mm -hmm. think you have to be very careful on processing innovation. Uh, uh, I think it's not something you can say on Friday afternoon. We're all innovative. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't work that way usually. Yep. So what? You, one of the things we tried to do, and, and I tried to do in France, was um, let's do the same as happens in the outside world. What, what, how does a startup work? Uh, a guy has a good idea, and he tries to do some funding, tries to do and, and, uh, it's, it's that traditional way. We tried to do the same thing internally. Mm -hmm. uh, so we said, the 5,000 IT people we had in France, uh, you all have time. Uh, you have coins. And, um, so you introduced orange coins. Yeah, <laughs> virtual <laughs> coins. It was just time. Virtual, <laughs> not Bitcoin, but orange <laughs> coins. Orange <laughs> coins. <laughs> yeah, would have been a good idea to introduce orange coins and put them on the on the crypto market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't like, talk of that. Uh, and then um, we uh, so everybody could could launch its ID mm -hmm. and um, on the kind of platform we had, as a kind of market, and everybody could invest their coins on an ID for funding, let's say the prototype, which would cost 15 days of work, yep. um, or propose their, uh, their own uh, services. And what we see, and the only, there was no limitations. The only limits I put on was uh, it should be ethical and it should be legal. Yep. But for the rest, you do whatever you want. It should be about new technology. That's not yep. about change this field and this application. Therefore, you have the standard process. It's not what I call innovation, but yep. it should be about AI, 
uh, augmented reality, uh, Internet of Things, uh, big data, things like that. So yeah. we wanted to uh, to stimulate that, and we had an enormous um, traction in that. So we had a lot of a lot of people really uh, playing the game. Huh? Mm -hmm. And what you see there is that the the, the interesting part in, in 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 innovation is about basically creating connections, creating connections between technologies, creating connections between people, and creating connections between people who have a solution to a problem they don't know, and creating, and the opposite, people who don't know there are solutions for their problem, making them enco encounter them. Yep. And not necessarily focus, because if you don't know that your problem may have a solution, you're not going to ask for somebody for it. The same thing if you, you don't know that that problem exists, you're not going to propose that solution. So. The classical process of, I would say, uh, I have a demand and somebody supplies it doesn't work. So you have to, to create that, that ecosystem, that market. Uh, uh, here it was an internal market to, to make people talk to each other, to test technologies, to, to get your hands dirty. Because that's yeah. the moment you really know what, what works and what doesn't work. Eh? Because if you have to follow the PowerPoint slides, yeah. you're obviously <laughs> dis often disappointed. However, if you put really your hands on, if you really yeah. test it, you see what's coming, you see what's living can talk intelligently about it, and you create very interesting experiences. We had cases where you start with uh, a connected aquarium or a connected mirror, which ends up to a drone flying in a data center. And so, oh. so just because people connect solutions with problems in a non less regulated way than you used to do in traditional processes. So you should have some process, I'm going to call it, with very, I, it should be very light, opening, making a lot of connections, and then funding into implementation and getting everybody on board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you need a process or a platform, or, yeah. or, or yeah. you need to create an environment where that is possible, where that and, is possible, and, and, and where there is funding and yeah. there is uh, attention and yeah. there is there is money available. And, uh, and then you have to make sure that everybody gets on board because the 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 critical point is. Testing in an environment which is safe, let's say inside the office yeah. walls, it's safe. Getting outside, getting to the outside world. And there, I come back to, to culture, to, to the way people think and, and act. Yeah. If you don't have your marketing department, your customer service or your legal department with you yeah. to test something in the real world before everything is perfect and legally confirmed, you won't get outside your lab environment. Yeah. So. You, you need to get everybody on board. And that's, I think, a critical tipping point for making sure that you can transform, basically, your, your great ideas into reality. Uh, so that, that tipping point is a crucial one. And I've, that, I think, is the most difficult one because there you're, you're going large. Uh, you're going beyond what you can manage yourself because yeah. you're also in the outside world with regulations, with uh, laws, with uh, opinions, yeah. with, uh, uh, which you... You have to be a bit more careful about yeah. than if you just do it inside and then test some things. So basically, you, you need to organize almost serendipity. You need to organize random connections between solution and ideas and, and people and, 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 and so on. Yeah, because it's something you, it's, it's, you have to see it. Huh? You, if you see people doing a tour and you have to demo it, and, and, yeah. and then you see people, oh, if you can... If you can see, recognize an image, you can also recognize cables, you can also recognize machines. No. The developers have, of course, I can. It's even much easier because the machines are always the same, the cables are always the same. Uh, but the guy who had this problem with uh, 
unattended technical buildings uh, didn't know that that was possible. So you see that, and the other guy didn't even know that it was a problem. If he would have known, he would have immediately proposed, but he didn't yeah. know, and nobody knew it. And and if you see that's going on and that dynamic going on, these two people talking to each other, okay, show me, explain me. Uh, now you can do this. Look at my colleague because we can add it. And, and then it becomes very And creative. now you have drones flying in, in, in your data center. Yeah, that we did have, that. We learned a lot on that. Huh? Recognition so on, on, on cables and, and machines. Yeah, and so. we, we did a lot of, of cool stuff. Huh? <laughs> cool stuff, <laughs> but also that works in reality. Well, yeah. We have, for example, uh, typical problems uh, we have is, is our network. Uh, we are not the only ones intervening in our network. You, know, mm -hmm. uh, you have a network which is operated by other uh, operators on which other companies intervene, subcontractors. So it's not just you control your network as you used to do 30, 40 years ago. No. There are other people intervening it. Some do a more decent job than others. <laughs> and the problem is, for example, that uh, sometimes people, competitors or other subcontractors, or they just deconnect one customer to connect their customers. These kind of things happen. And sometimes these, uh, what we call these uh, connection points, they become a real mess. Artificial intelligence there helps us to just text, take a photo. And the moment we see these, these technical installations, these boxes you see at the, the yeah. road starting to degrade, artificial intelligence can say automatically, hold on, there's something going on. Uh, this is getting degraded, we should intervene right away and then we can track back what. what. So it, it's always integrated in processes because at, yep. with artificial intelligence you can do a lot of, of cool stuff and, <laughs> and, and uh, we, we have a lot of experience now with it. Um, but it's always integrated within, uh, it should be integrated usually in, in traditional processes. Yep. So changing um, the process, uh, creating a context where connections and serendipity happens and, and where people uh, have the freedom to innovate is, 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 is a crucial way of, of organizing organizing uh, innovation. There are other ways as well, uh, and, and, and working together with startups, sure. scale-ups. Can you give some examples yeah. on how you do that yeah. here at Orange? I think by definition, innovation these days is open. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the time where you could control uh, this combination of technologies, combination of, of possibilities, um, that's gone. Uh, yeah. I think so. If you're talking innovation, by definition, you're talking open innovation, being uh, working together with other technology, other technology of other partners, yep. uh, working with uh, other partners with startups. Uh, so indeed, we have a lot of um, startups that we uh, try to incubate, as we call, yep. uh, that we like to help uh, a lot around. Also, like 5G, huh? we have here on the campus, we have a 5G incubation lab where uh, okay. people can start. Um, testing innovations with 5G technology. What can it bring? What could I do with it? Uh, and we have over, I think, over 500 different uh, collaborations with startups uh, in, in over 18 countries, I think, oh. out of the top of my head. Yeah. Okay. Now let's come to uh, the third aspect, the, the technology part yeah. of, uh, of innovation, of course, one of our favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> and let's first talk about a bit uh, about open source. Yeah. Um, I mean, open source software has as, as seen a, a huge increase in use. How strategic is, uh, is open source here uh, for you? I'm very, very clear on, clear on that. Um, open source for us is a default choice. Mm -hmm. uh, why? Uh, um, first of all, um, I think open source helps you to mitigate a lot of risks associated, what we've all learned the hard way, of uh, buying uh, a 
appropriate or, or custom of the shelf uh, software with yep. traditional uh, vendor models. Uh, you have the risk of customization. I've, well, usually happens is people say, okay, I've seen something very neat and, and had a great marketing presentation and it's more or less what I want, but I still want to customize it. No, for us, it's, it's okay to have us off the shelf uh, software as a service or, or, uh, or, or even mm -hmm. on-premise uh, software, uh, traditionally com commercially licensed, but only if there's zero customization, not, okay. not 10, not five, zero. Uh, so I'm, I'm very strict on that. Uh, if that's not possible, and if there's no, uh, it's, it should be open source uh, solution. So open source is, first of all, our default choice. Mm -hmm. The others are possible, uh, but not excluding it. Economically, it's okay and we don't change it. But open source is, is, is key. Why is it key to me? Is that um, if you buy, and we all had it, and I won't give names uh, for the sake of... <laughs> Not getting, not getting enemies, but we all lived it where you, you, you bought a package, uh, as we used to call it, the software package. You customized it to that. Yep. Then suddenly your supplier, who was your great friend five years ago, mm -hmm. got bought by a competitor yeah, who were. decided <laughs> to kill your <laughs> lovely baby. Uh, and uh, so then you're... Star uh, that's maybe the most dramatic scenario, but yep. also the other scenarios where you have uh, your... At a certain point, uh, if you invested in optimizing a certain process, it's good enough. It's not your priority anymore. No. Uh, you have other priorities. You have limited means. Nobody has unlimited means. No. But if you're forced because your, your thing, which is good enough, or does what it does and you don't have additional needs, no. continues to evolve, get out of maintenance, uh, you're forced to do upgrades. Upgrades which are often quite expensive, if, especially if they're integrated in a larger ecosystem. No. Uh, and that, that brings a whole set of costs and, and dependence uh, on, on external factors that you don't need. Um, also, and, and open source is not for free. Huh? It, well, it's not... Uh, yeah, very successful companies around it. Huh? Like Red Hat and others. Indeed, and, uh, uh, companies who are... And Red Hat, I think they're the inventor of the open source model, eh, where initially nobody believed how, how is it possible to, give, to make money of something which is for free. Well, they didn't do too bad. <laughs> so... But I think it's a good example that it's true. Uh, it doesn't come for free from one hand that you have services around it, which are okay, but also that you have uh, to contribute, uh, especially as a larger organization. You cannot just consume open source. You have to contribute. You have to have the skills also to, to have it because uh, the risk, uh, which I just described with uh, a product not being under, uh, under maintenance anymore, yeah. is the same in open source. If, for example, the community starts to get to other... Uh, to other fork away or whatever. Fork away to <laughs> another technology. However, at that moment, if you have the technical competencies in-house or, 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 or subcontracted, whatever model, yep. you can still continue to assure your business and, and you're not forced into expensive upgrades if you don't need to because you, you still master the, the code and you still know if, if I have to do something, I yep. still do it. Uh, so uh, it's not for free. Uh, but I think it's a much uh, healthier model, uh, as seen from a customer perspective. Yeah. And it's definitely, for us, uh, and, and for me as CIO, the, the default choice. That's what yeah. I say to the teams. And it requires also effort. Huh? It's effort of, because getting off the self uh, software in a SaaS mode or whatever, 
Uh, people come and you have vendors and they all come explain to you. No. Open source, you have to go for it yourself. You have to organize it. You have to no. look for it. And uh, But of course, you're big enough. You have enough yeah, people. Sure. You have enough experts also to do that sure. and, and also to contribute sure. to, the, to the libraries and, uh, and, yeah. and so on. So, and also uh, our integration effort, because it's true, if you're a small company and, and you just have one software package, that's it. Yeah. We have thousands of applications yeah. and, and interconnected. And, and uh, That's also an interesting discussion. I mean, how do you manage... Your legacy in, 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 in an historical uh, company has been around for so many, many yeah. years, so big. So what's your strategy there? What's the vision there? The, um, I'll talk there about, I'll, I'll take France as our, our, yep. our, our main company because the situation is a bit different in different countries. But um, managing a legacy or managing your richness of the past, I can put it this <laughs> way also, it's um, basically it shows you how the company works or uh -huh. how it worked. Uh, I think it's a very uh, uh, clear, clear point where you see the interactions that happens in the company. You see them reflected in your IT. And as mm -hmm. organizations change, IT don't change with the organization. So you see uh, your legacy <laughs> evolving throughout the years because of historical changes in your no. processes and managing what I call technical debt. Mm -hmm is absolutely crucial and, and in, in, in many cases it has been uh, or in many many companies have been overlooked because we're always looking at uh, what's the new thing yeah. how I can get there's budget for new stuff for new stuff <laughs> yeah. but for <laughs> managing your shit of yesterday <laughs> managing your 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 uh, uh, your debt your technical debt there's very little uh, thought of that and, yeah. and of course the more you accumulate the debt the more it gets problematic. No. Uh, so we we had that situation also in, in, in France, uh, as any uh, incumbent and any no. historical company has. Huh, with, if course. you have more than 30, even <laughs> Google has now a legacy. So uh, with, with uh, every company which has more than 20 years of existence, by definition, has legacy. Yeah. Um, so uh, what, what we did is, is, is combine, uh, have a very simple approach uh, on, on mapping our, our in France over 1,200 applications on one side of what creates value, future value, yeah. what is strategically uh, for us, and what is uh, the technical situation of these uh, applications. And then you have a very simple consultant-like <laughs> diagram with four blocks, yeah. the things where everything goes fine, it's strategic and it's on modern technology. You invest in it, no yeah. discussion. You have the more problematic box where you say it's strategic, but it's, but it's old built stuff, of yeah. old stuff. <laughs> yeah. You have uh, billing systems which are key for certain future products, but they're built on technology of the 90s. You should do something about yeah. it. Uh, and then you have the other parts uh, which are, uh, okay, it's, it's old stuff, but it's not strategic. You accept it. Uh, you, you manage it. Uh, you keep it. Uh, until it phases out. Until yep. it phases out a natural way. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> well, you manage it. <laughs> you don't pray, you manage. <laughs> and then you have the, um, the stuff you can decommission. No. Often the thing which, which gets forgotten, huh, because it's not strategic, so not many people think about it and, and look at it. It's an old technology, so you just let it run. It consumes energy, it consumes people. And no. it, and, and rather than doing active... Uh, action to, to phase out, often it's forgotten. So we, d we did a massive uh, reduction of that. We outfaced over 500 applications in, in a few years uh, to, to get also uh, funding for yeah. uh, upgrading the other systems. But it's something you should get 
and, and, and that's also in, in the changes of, of the way of IT business working together. Uh, I said it a bit before, not opposing the business needs with the technology needs uh, should be, there should be combined no. and prioritized. Because if you have, a, so to speak, a weekly upgrade and a weekly maintenance of your code and, a, and, and you're adapting small things, it's not the same thing as never having done an upgrade no. for nine years. Huh? No. Uh, if you, you never upgraded your, your Mac or your, your <laughs> Windows PC for nine years, the likelihood that you push the button, it works, is uh, zero. If yeah. you do it on a regular basis, it will hopefully continue to work, yeah. depending on the... <laughs> Let's talk about the need for speed. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the speed of the networks. Let's talk about fiber. Okay, that's speed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <what's laughs> the, the speed of the networks, and yeah. you, you, you mentioned it, the customers are uh, always want faster internet, um, anywhere, all the time, um, at the same price. So 5G and fiber and so on are very, very important technologies that I can imagine are changing the organization here completely. Uh, massive in, uh, investments that are going in there. What's the situation? Are you, an, uh, is, is Orange a leader in, in fiber and, and, and 5G? Are you early adopter? You have a good coverage already? Well, I think, again, it, it's depending on the countries. Huh? So, yep. But if I take France as our biggest um, mm -hmm. operations, uh, yes, we are definitely uh, for uh, a decade now uh, recognized by by the regulator and not yep. by ourselves as being as having the best fixed and mobile network. So uh, we have um, the, the overall mm -hmm. recognized the best uh, mobile and fixed networks with, yep. with fiber. We have a big coverage also of, of network. Yeah, it's uh, fiber network in in France has started the deployment a couple of years already ago. So now today. We have a huge part of the population who can have access to fiber and has access to fiber. Oh. So that's, uh, uh, that's definitely... Uh, and and what, are, what do you see as the most exciting use cases for, for, this, for this speed, for this high-speed networks? Where do you see... Is, is, where is this going to change everybody's life and, and how is... I think that, that the, the, the real innovative stuff won't come just from one technology. Mm -hmm. I think it's always going to be a combination of different technologies where obviously uh, networks are going to be crucial, yep. speed of networks and reliability of networks also. Yep. Security of networks is going to become more and more important. Um, the intelligence also to adapt, also the, the ecological footprint of, of networks. Uh, we, we often say uh, uh, in some countries, uh, people are against 5G. Yep. Well, if you look at the electronic electric consumption of 5G, it's it's a fraction of what it is for yep. uh, for 4G. So, so you say um, the innovation is coming of the combination of different technologies, 5G and yeah. IoT and artificial intelligence. And, and I so think on. it's about we call it ambient uh, connectivity. So mm -hmm. it's it's an, an uh, augmented uh, uh, yep. connectivity and and, and um, where you have indeed much more um, intelligence in your connectivity, much yep. more intelligence in your services, with AI obviously, um, uh, much, more, much more also differentiational quality yep. of services, uh, which allows us, which is possible with 5G, uh, you yep. can differentiate, you have the famous slicing, uh, as we call it in, in 5G, which allows you to differentiate speed and, and, and quality of service, reliability. Yep. Um, but it, it's that combination, I think few fundamental, it's nanotechnology obviously as a fundamental core, uh, it's artificial intelligence, definitely, uh, mm -hmm. but it's also, I think, everything, uh, the IoT yeah. ecosystem, 
uh, where basically everything will be connected, everything. Yeah. Uh, and and um, but can it's you a bit evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give some examples? I mean, in the labs here, what's yeah. happening in the labs that you're not supposed to talk about that will come out in uh, in a couple of years, but that you just between you and me that you can already <laughs> share. <laughs> well, it's an open innovation, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no. In 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 the labs, we have on, on, we're having initiatives on on. on mobile finance, on, on, uh, mm -hmm. on security, on um, uh, also on IoT, on, on the way we, we, we're going to bring content to people on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, if just one example, if on IoT, uh, one of the um, challenges is that, uh, especially in, in, in houses, okay, that's fine, you need a battery and it's not too bad. Yeah. However, if you do that in rural remote areas, uh, for example, in agriculture, and you want to measure humidity of the soil, uh, things like that, uh, whether it's sunny or rainy or uh, in remote areas, you can't just go there every year to change all your batteries, wherever, and, and, and first of all, waste. And, and yep. So things we're looking at is creating um, completely energy autonomous uh, objects. Uh, we don't do that alone. Huh? We do that with universities. We do that with uh, R&D and, and other uh, suppliers. but. That's the kind of things where you say, okay, the moment we get there where you have a fully autonomous, uh, not just a small piece of, of, of device, but really a microcomputer, so to speak, yeah. which is completely autonomous by either solar, wind, or, or ambient energy, huh? uh, and is capable of functioning in such a way, in an autonomous way, combining that with powerful networks and, 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 and artificial intelligence, opens you a lot of possibilities. And I think that's the, the, the kind of evolution uh, we will see. It's not just one thing. That, no. uh, it's not just about the uh, just about uh, 5G or just about... And you call them zero energy objects? Well, they always have energy because they won't work, but they're self-fulfilling. Huh? So no. they, they, they don't need energy, or they, yeah, they always get energy from somewhere, but they don't need external, let's say, battery or, no. or power supplies, or, but they get autonomous on, on themselves. Okay. So that, that's the kind of thing uh, we're looking at. You have the more fundamental, uh, also that that's still in its early development, but mm -hmm. still promising. Uh, then you have the much more applied uh, innovations too, uh, which we're doing with our customers, which yeah. we're doing with, uh, and, and there are tons and tons of examples, yeah. and, and basically all the cool stuff <laughs> we do there. AR, VR, is that is that yeah. going to be a big thing? I think so, yeah. Especially AR. Uh, I think uh, AR combined with, again, speed of networks, uh, artificial intelligence and AR, uh, mm -hmm. knowing that uh, AI now we can uh, uh, get trained models on simple devices, as smartphones, if I may say like mm -hmm. that, or, or other devices, um, recognizing objects, giving uh, additional information about content uh, in a real in, in real time. I think it's going to be um, something which get more and more um, will get more and more used in. Uh, okay. Uh, traveling industry, for example, walking around in the city and just uh, moving with your, your cell phone around and get additional comments yeah. on what you want, why not? Now, it's said that data centers in the world consume um, quite an important yeah. percentage of energy and that's only that's increasing. Right. So, so what's your or what's Orange vision on, on, on sustainability and the role that, yeah. that uh, a telco a, a, a connection um, organization like yours plays in that? What's the... Do you have a vision for that? It's one of our it's one of our key um, key pillars. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's really uh, social responsibility and, and uh, uh, 
uh, it's also part of our purpose. Huh? It's yep. um, being a responsible operator, uh, taking into account the ecological footprint, and we optimize that. Huh? We do a lot of, of uh, it goes from recycling, huh? recycling cell phones, recycling uh, set of boxes, and, and uh, so we do a lot of, of that, mm -hmm. uh, refurbishing as we call it. Huh? Yep. Um, so the circular economy. Uh, obviously, also optimizing uh, our energy consumptions. 5G, as I mentioned before, is, is that's much better than. Oh yeah, uh, much better. Okay. So the economic, the the electricity performance or the the, the ecological performance yeah. of 5G is much better than 4G yeah. because it's it, it, to say it simply, it it allows the the signals to be more. Um, specific to specific rather than 4g is, is everything everywhere yeah. all the time 5g is more specific and allows you to be more to put it in a simple way to be more direct in, in where you and at what moment you you, you uh, need what where. you need what uh, so so that that is definitely and uh, we want to be uh, completely carbon neutral in, in uh, 2040 okay can you um, um until recently, you were the head of 5,000 IT people uh, in uh, Orange France. Now you have the responsibility of, uh, of, of the group for IT. Um, let's talk a little bit how IT is organized here. And, and what does that mean here? Yeah. What network, IT, digital, yeah. and, and, and over the different countries. So what's a little bit the structure? Try to be very, <laughs> as you can imagine, <laughs> a large organization is not that simple. Try to be very simple. And, yeah. um, uh, first of all, when we, we, we in the role I have, it's it's IT and the services. Huh? What we yeah. call the services are typically the services running on the network. So, besides the core network services, we're talking about TV, financial services, uh, that these kind of services. Uh, that's part of, of the um, mm -hmm. the scope um, I'm responsible of. The from an implementation technical perspective, the way IT is organized, as I mentioned, our, our markets are. And our history in the different countries is different. Yep. Uh, the markets are different, so we have local organizations uh, who are operationally in charge uh, um, of, of running services, of, of changing services, of changing. So you have IT. a CIO in CI Egypt. Yeah. In I have a CIO in every, in every country. country. Uh, yep. Every country who has a local team, uh, local solutions. Uh, so we have. Because as I mentioned, uh, the markets are different, the history is different. In some cases we are incumbent, like in France, oh. we have fixed mobile, we are the historical operator. In other countries, uh, we were the, the challenger. Oh. Uh, we only have mobile services in some countries, prepaid, postpaid. So you can't just have one model which fits all, oh. from neither from a positioning perspective nor from a market perspective. Uh, the market in uh, sub-Saharan Africa is different than the one in Europe. Oh. Uh, and even uh, between countries, it's, there's, there's important differences. Also, competitive landscape is different, so you need to have that proximity. Uh, proximity. So there's a lot of um, local responsibility in the organization. I think it's important. The, the role then is on a group level is to make sure that is, uh, we, we have that global governance, we have a global strategy. We uh, create also solutions which can be uh, used uh, throughout mm -hmm. the different countries. But we have the overall oversight of, of what's happening in what countries and, and try, try yeah. to govern it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and you're gonna miss that that you're not that much operational anymore than in uh, in France. I kind of I, a I completely different job. I think it's something very important that I try to continue to be because it's very easy to get disconnected. No, right? I you can get, I could spend my days watching PowerPoints huh, <laughs> if I want to. Uh, what I think is very important is to continue to have uh, your feet on the ground in the reality, yeah. having discussions with developers, having discussions with people, getting your hands on the on the the keyboard. I'm, yeah. In my free time, I'm still trying to bricolage, as we call it, <laughs> and trying to, to build things, just not because I, I, I want to be the best developer or the best uh, engineer in the world. No, mm -hmm. just it forces you and it, it gives you another grip on things, it, that maker instinct, that trying to look for solutions, seeing what's possible, seeing what's happening. Okay. It, I'm still doing that. And, so, and, and what are you working on right now then? Well, I'm... I did a lot of home automation. Oh, yeah. Uh, I built from really everything home thermostats and things like that. So mm -hmm. uh, driven by AI. So <laughs> uh, so in function of the outside temperature, all this kind oh, yeah. of thing. And But really built from the electronic part until the, the software layer. So you don't do that because it's efficient. You do that because it lear you learn yeah. things from that. Huh? Because you could buy these solutions. But if you really build that, if you, you see what's happening, it also helps you to give um, credibility towards uh, people, I think. If, yeah. you're, if you're in a, think in a technical environment... You need to speak the language. And you need uh, to be able... You don't need to be the expert of the experts, but no. you need to be able to show that you at least give the impression to understand <laughs> what you're talking yeah, about. So, so that they have, can have an intelligent conversation yeah. with you and not, okay, the guy he really doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Yeah. You won't earn respect in a technical environment and, yeah. and I think it's the, so you the, the, you have to, that combination of the business aspect and the understanding and I'm very prudent about it because the, 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 the domain is so large from from a, a Wi-Fi repeater to to building a customer portal <laughs> it's a big <laughs> big chunk uh, yeah. uh, linking gateways uh, <laughs> technology on a gateway is not the same as, as building an HTML page um, so, so I'm very prudent about understanding, but if people know that you're still seriously interested in what they're doing and, and ask not too stupid questions yeah. <laughs> and showing interest and really trying to understand how things work, not in order to a bit of genuine interest, it creates a certain uh, credibility and a certain, it's important to do your job huh? yeah. because it allows you to also explain certain issues to people who are not technology literate. Um, but it also allows you to be credible towards yeah. your people. So that's your role as, as group CIO, yeah. um, but you have two heads on, and the other head uh, is that you are the head of innovation, development of customer services. Oh, oh, of, yeah, services for our customers, not customer service in the sense of yeah. service reps. Huh? So services yeah. for the customers, yeah. so, so the development of, of, of these services and the innovation around yeah. that. So that's a big group here in, yeah. in, in, uh, in, in this building. What is... Um, uh, what is your role there, and, and, and how, do you, how do you look at that? Because that's, that's a new part in, yeah. uh, in, in your responsibility so now. That's the part where we, we develop uh, new services, new services typically for, for the group, mm -hmm. uh, used in different countries, uh, like gateways, uh, the, the, the home gateway, your Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> the, the devices and the software that comes with it, yeah. uh, the settle boxes for your TV, um, uh, content solutions, uh, Orange money and uh, the, the financial transaction solutions. So everything related to um, services on top of our network, and, and that we do for the group. Yeah. 
uh, where appropriate. Uh, we don't do everything, uh, but when it are strategic uh, developments and, and, and things that we uh, uh, use on, on, on our total footprint, we are at least involved or we develop it. Mm -hmm. Not Develop it doesn't mean we do everything ourselves, uh, but no. we make sure that there's a solution coming out of the, the plant. Uh, yep. yeah. Let's take a step back and, 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 and um, look at the role of, of the CIO again. How would you describe the role of a CIO five years ago? How is the, what's the fundamentally the role of a CIO today? And how do you see that uh, change and, and evolve in the future? What I think that a CIO 10 or 20 years ago was it should run and we shouldn't see them. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like Stay the less the you see them, yeah. Probably the less better, the much better it is because it means you don't have trouble. Yeah. If you see them, it's trouble. To a model where uh, you see the CIO as really sitting around the, the, the management table, bringing, of course, still talking about <laughs> issues if there are, yeah. but also thinking about opportunities, possibilities, uh, bringing ideas for growth, bringing ideas for optimization as a peer and not as the executor down in the basement. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a, and, and the evolution I've seen in, in, in France and, and that we pushed for was really pushing IT from um, a cost center. And what you do with a cost center is you cut costs. You yeah. The less it costs, the better it is. And it's true for some part of the IT, which is the, the run, you should manage optimize it as a cost. As optimize, as optimize, yeah. optimize. It doesn't exclude the other. On the other hand, you have a big chunk of your budget, which is investments. And investments means what does it bring? And in, I had a lot of discussions with my, my peers in other, in other countries, uh, telecom operators. They all know how much they invest, but nobody could say how much they really got as a return, real measurable return. This is not like IT is important because it goes down, the company goes down. No, it's uh, concretely, I invested 300 million. Those 300 million brought so much on a five-year plan yep. on the table, so much EBITDA, so much uh, cost avoidance, so much uh, revenue protection. That's Then you're talking business. And if you do, because some companies still do five-year plans, I think, uh, in this world, making five-year plans is crazy. Crazy, <laughs> especially if you want to do a plan of it and not a vision, that's something yep. different. But if you have a plan saying this by quarter and quarter, this is what's going to happen, I think you're disconnected from reality. Mm -hmm. But uh, Doing, of course, you need to have financial guidance. You have to know financially where you're going. And you can't ask two people, what are you going to do, your marketing guys? What are you going to do in 2023? They don't have a clue. And no. it's normal. And that's good. And that's good. <laughs> <laughs> they know where they want to go. Yeah. They should know where. But what they're going to do in Q1 2023 on IT, they can't give you an answer. No. And that's normal. So you nevertheless have to go to give that uh, financial ID and, and planning yeah. input. So you don't rather do it opposite way. So what we did at a certain point in time is to say, okay, we know we have to go for that much margin increase, that much revenue increase. Historically, what we see, so much of it comes to, is thanks to IT investments yeah. because we measure it in a systematic way and, and in an industrial way, and it gets reliable. So we can do the translation into, that means that we probably have to invest that much in IT. Yeah. And it's that's a fundamental different discussion than IT is expensive yeah. and you have to cut down costs. So IT needs to prove, needs to show the return on the investment that's happening and, and a kind of all needs to build a dashboard with, with it's the It's not returns. IT. 
it's not IT, sorry, it's business and IT because basically the investments mm -hmm. we do, it, it's a combination because it's a ratio. Yeah. Right? So you, have, you have an invest, return on an asset. Yeah. We build the asset as IT guys and usually the business has the return. Could yeah. be opposite too, but generally <laughs> that's the most, the most standard scenario. Yeah. So it's the combination. Huh? You, you can't just do that on your own as an IT. Uh, if, if the business asks you whatever and doesn't care about measuring its benefits and isn't important, you, yes, you can optimize your cost part yeah. of it uh, on creating the asset, but your value is still suboptimal. So it's really, it's a ratio. It's optimizing the ratio. It's optimizing as well. How do you make sure that business and IT look for value? And how do you make sure business and IT optimize the asset? Yeah. And I think, so if you say, what we used to do is, and my, my business colleagues, uh, we had investment committees where if you had certain investments which we approved, then when they were realized, they came back. And it is business and IT who explains the return. It's not uh, IT was expensive and the business, no. It's, there's one ratio, yep. it's one team which explains this is the return we have on this investment measured, controlled by financial controllers. So it's not something we just invent. It's real, it's concrete, uh, and, and that creates a vision and a sound collaboration between business and IT. It's not opposing them. Right? Yeah. It's, they have the same objective, create value. Yeah, business is IT, especially in an organization like this. I mean, IT is business and it's, you're all in the same, in the same boat. It's, uh, there's no difference anymore, it's especially us yeah. and them. Eh? Yeah. No. So let's talk a bit about um, your teams. Um, when you uh, were the, the, the front CIO, you had a team of more than 5,000 people. Now, as, as group CIO, all the people in, in, in IT and then innovation is, what is it, 20, 25,000 people well, or? Yeah, it depends what you call IT, what you call IT. Yeah. Because in our type of business, it's where is the edge yeah. <laughs> between this is IT, this is yeah. network. So. Order of magnitude, we're talking about, let's say, yeah, 25 to 30,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. So a huge organization. So what is, how do you manage that? I mean, I'm, I'm always stunned about people that are running big teams like that. How do you do that? I mean, what is, I, what is, what is your manage, what is your secret of, of management success? <laughs> I dare to say I have a secret, but uh, first of all, you're not alone. Uh, it's not, it, I don't think it's, it's uh, one it's not one person who, of course. first of all, th these are many teams, huh? yeah. all the teams I'm talking about, 25,000 isn't just one team, there are no. different teams in yeah. different geographies, different responsibilities, different hierarchies, yeah. huh? so it's not just one team. Um, to your question about managing a large organization, um, you need to have, I, I don't think there's a big difference um, between managing 1,000 people or 3,000 people. The mm. moment you can't know them all anymore individually, it changes. Oh, yeah. that's, that's a bit my... So I think once you passed that thing, I don't think it's that much different, except okay. that, uh, uh, of course, logistic-wise and, and communication-wise and, and seeing them all, it's more difficult. And, and But on a pure management level, you can only work with so many people no. at the same time. Uh, so whether it's... 20,000 or 25,000 people, I don't think fundamentally you change. Yeah, you can only you closely can only work with 20, 50, 100 people yeah, or yeah. so. Yeah, and that's, uh, uh, you still try to, to, to get connected because, yeah. but, but you know it's impossible and you can't just meet 25,000 people um, yeah. in a one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> it's just not going to be possible. Um, 
so what is important to me is, is creating um, the purpose, creating the vision, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that it's extremely well understood, that everybody knows where do we go to and stick to it. So, mm -hmm. um, the most lethal thing to, to large organizations is shifting from your, your purpose or your, your cap <laughs> where you want to go through shifting every six months that kills everything. Yeah. It kills even the ongoing business because people in the end, they don't know anymore. They say, okay, whatever they do there, don't, don't, don't believe mind. it. We'll come mind. back with something six different. Six months <laughs> later, we'll come with something else. So something else. So what is important is I think that uh, having a very clear, a very clear expressed vision and openly communicated vision. So everybody should, should be able and I've, I've always been very keen on, on saying that everybody in the management team should be able to tell the whole story and every manager should be able to tell the whole story, even if it's not in their domain of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So my HR directors, they weren't IT uh, people, but they could perfectly tell the whole IT story. Uh, not on the technical level, but they, say, they could perfectly say where to go. Everybody on the team should be able to, to express that. So everybody has the same vision, it's collaborated, mm -hmm. uh, so it's not something you just, I define, uh, I, and it's done together, yeah. but we all know it's very clear, it's very precise, and we also know at what pace we're going to go. Uh, we also need to know how we phase it into time and how we will bring it to the teams. If you have large transformations, uh, which are profound, I'm not talking about we just change something and mm -hmm. it's fine. Uh, no, talking about large and important transformation, they usually take years. Uh, they usually don't are not done overnight. Yeah. Um, they require different streams or different work groups or different focus areas in that transformation. Uh, mistake, I see, what I consider a mistake, I see often is that in those large transformations, people communicate everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people should understand the global picture. They should know what they where they go to, and then they should know for themselves. Okay, concretely, I'm an architect. Oh. What changes for me? That the accounting rules change. Okay, it's good that I know, but I don't need to know how it works exactly because it's not my job. You, you, you don't go to distract the guy with that. So how do you then bring that transformation in a very concrete way, in a phased way, taking into account that it takes time to, and that you accompany these people into the transformation, I think that's the key to success. Yeah. And coming back. When I first started in, in, um, in, in, in Orange, and, and I did call the first roadshow uh, on, on, okay, what are the, then I was in charge of IT transformation, I did a roadshow on the different sites. One of the questions I got in a uh, nearly systematic way was, why would it work this way? Huh? Uh, why would it work this time, sorry. Mm -hmm. And, okay, if you're new in the company, the answer is, I don't know why it didn't work, but the key thing is also going back to them. So you say, okay, I'll, I will be back here six months from now and we will say where we are. If it could be that something didn't work, it's not the shame, huh? but then we'll correct. No. But uh, I will be back here. I will be back here every six months to make the point with you, adjust where necessary. That's not the plan which is detailed and we just execute and follow the plan. No, we adapt to reality, but we uh, we always say where we are, what's the next step, and they always we can, they know it. Huh? They know what the end goal is. They know the different steps we're going to take. The, the, 
the major steps. Uh, they see it. We adapt the pace to what the organization can absorb, or what the human can absorb, depending on the, 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 the profoundness of the, of the change. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, is, is a key element in, in, uh, in managing, um, managing transformations. Yeah. Uh, and managing the teams, of course. Is the team so having a clear vision that doesn't change every six months and having a well-organized communication way so that, that you can get the right messages, the right people. And communication the right in both, both directions. Yeah. Right? Making sure that, because if it's rarely the case that your initial plan and what you told initially is exactly the way no. it, it turns out. You know, it's usually these oh. are things which take over years, so things change during those years. Oh. And you should have the, the modesty and the, uh, the, the sense of reality to make sure, okay, here it didn't work exactly this way, so we're not going to change complete direction. You just say, okay, I need to adjust, I need to adapt, and that's not a problem. People should know that it's, uh, we're not going to change direction, but if there's an obstacle, we're not going to continue to, to try to, yep. to hit the obstacle until it falls down. We're just going to make a small turnaround and, uh, or make a small bypass to, yep. to, to skip it. And, and that's why it's, you need to have the communication and the, the return on both sides. And very important, accompany the people on the field. So they have your sense with reality uh, all the time uh, active. No? Yeah, you make it sound very easy. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's not. No, but it's not easy. But, no, no, but you learn it. You learn it by, by making mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> we'll come to that in a moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Management is one thing, yeah. um, uh, but leadership is another thing. I mean, people work for a manager, but they want to work for a leader. So, how would you describe your leadership style? Maybe a good way to ask this, my favorite way to ask this, <laughs> was how do you think you are perceived as a leader? What do you think people say about you when you're not around? Well, first of all, <laughs> I hope they say the same thing when I'm not around as when I'm around. That's Let's hope so. First thing, I hope. <laughs> and the second thing is that I would not be surprised yeah. about what I hear. So, uh, I think that, um, uh, because I think transparency in, in, in the team Mm -hmm. and, and being able to openly say what you think is key. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if people don't dare to say it, there's a kind of sense of terror and, and okay, no, no, the boss said this, so you better shut up because it's going to turn out badly if I say something uh, in the opposite way. Uh, so I think trust and, and op capability to speak openly is absolutely key. So that's why I would hope that what they say behind my back, <laughs> as when they say when we're all together, yeah. is the same. and. I think it's probably going to be the way okay. it is. Um, they probably say that I'm somebody who dares to put out a vision. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm there to, I dare to say, okay, I think that's the way we should go, trying to convince people on that, getting them on board. Yep. I think it's very important because huh? alone you can't do anything in this yep. kind of job. Um, could be I'm determined. Huh? So if we decide once we got the decision made to uh, to go a certain way, uh, I'll do everything to get there. Huh? Um, also have the uh, I think I think they will also say a good strategic and wide vision, not just narrow-minded. So I try to to look at it from all angles, not just from one specific uh, mm -hmm. specific angle. Uh, I think um, you will also say I'm human. Huh? I'm <laughs> uh, after all, <laughs> after all, <laughs> uh, maybe not the right way to say it, but that I'm accessible. Huh? Yeah. It's, uh, 
um, I don't think people are afraid of talking to me. I'm no. so accessible in the sense of uh, they're to say what they think no. and they're not too much afraid of uh, once so. they know me. Of no. course, if you don't know somebody, you always may be a bit no. careful, especially if it's in another place of no. the organization. But once they know me, I think they, they know we can have a... I also find it very important is that you consider all people equal. It's not because I'm the boss that I'm better than they are. Uh, I think everybody has its role to play. No. And it's not because you play a certain role that you're better or more worth than uh, somebody else. It's a so different role. Yeah. It's a different role. And no. I think that's very important. Um, sometimes you have to make decisions and that's no. okay. But uh, that's your role. Um, but there are other people's role to make no. decisions, to make other, uh, to make implementations. But... Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I think it was Jung who said it. It's uh, the beginning of wisdom is to understand that every face has another, <laughs> or the, every, everything has another face too. Huh? So what they also yeah. may say is that uh, <laughs> I'm sometimes too uh, impatient. Mm -hmm. I can be um, demanding. Um, I could also be uh, so impatient, fast. Um, trying to push them <laughs> a bit beyond their comfort zone, yeah. which made them feel uh, uncomfortable. Some people may uh, find me also not uh, empathetic enough huh? um, because of that push and not yeah. pampering too much sometimes and, and being tough and direct. No. Uh, I, I, I try to... It's also the reason because I'm, I'm doing a lot of... I'm, all my meetings <laughs> are in... in my non-native language uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a Dutch speaker. Uh, so, the, as you know, Hendrik, the likelihood that we can talk Flemish <laughs> if we it's drive 100, 100 kilometers, it's rather rare. Yeah. So everything is here is in French or, yeah. or in English. Uh, and especially if you're with native French-speaking people, uh, you should not underestimate, although I speak rather correctly French, yeah. uh, even if you technically say something uh, yeah, the subtilities, way, is, yeah. the subtilities and so I, that's also a reason why I try to be direct doesn't mean rude, huh? I mean yeah. I'm just clear, try to be clear uh, of what I mean, not try to be complex about yeah. the explanations to be sure things are understood. Yeah. But that may for some people be offensive or... Um, oh, yeah. Well, offensive. Some yeah, people are more sensitive yeah. to that than, than other people. So, depends on I, the I think also, uh, and, and, and you know, you're. I know you're a fan of MBTI. I think. I think there's a lot of interesting things in these uh, in these methodologies, and, and if you take other, there are other other type of typologies. Um, it's a lot of truth. Is basically what you naturally tend to do, no. and what your natural favorite uh, way of, of working and, and acting is. Uh, but I. Think should be very careful also about it and, and but well, let's let's yeah. talk about your MBTI. Then. Okay. <laughs> so you shared with us, Kun, yeah. that your Myers Briggs type uh, yeah. a, a personality uh, indicator, the MBTI, is that you are an ENTP, and you're on the. Um, I mean, you're balancing between introvert yeah, and extrovert. extrovert. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not always clear if you're I or E. So it's what, on the verge. Yeah. <laughs> so. But it's also typical for INTPs that they can come across as as, as introverts. So yeah. it's it's um, yeah. it's it's not uh, not that. So ENTPs, extroverted, intuitive thinking, and prospecting personality. They tend to be bold and creative, deconstructing and rebuilding ideas with great mental agility. 
That's what they do. They pursue their goals vigorously despite any resistance they might encounter. So it's impressive, Henrik. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's a lot of things that you uh, that you said that, that really match that. Yeah. People with this uh, personality yeah. profile, their strengths are that they're knowledgeable. I mean, you want to know things. You will still want to build your own uh, home automation things. You're a quick thinker, uh, obviously. Original, excellent brainstormers. You like to be creative with ideas, I think. Charismatic, communication is important and making sure that leadership is, is important and energetic are good points. On, yeah. of, of, uh, so I think they, they all match as far as we, we know each other already a little bit yeah. uh, for quite some time. Uh, so, But weaknesses are, and you, you mentioned already a couple, that they, uh, people with this personality profile can be very argumentative. Yeah. They want to win an argument yeah. for the sake of winning the argument sometimes. Yeah. So that's something that yeah. you have to be careful with. Yeah. They can sometimes be insensitive. Because we are strong on the, yeah. on, and I've got on the same profile, <laughs> strong on the T and sometimes, so we need to learn yeah, how to build true. relationships yeah. and so on. They can find it difficult to focus and sometimes this, dislike practical matters. In, in all of these, where is your biggest development areas? Yeah area where did you uh, and, and develop yourself most as a professional because you can't have all these weaknesses and, and, and be a, uh, a top CIO I think it's uh, you learn it the hard way I think it's mm -hmm. uh, when, when I started working and, and got graduated as, as, a, as an engineer economic background very rational uh, mm -hmm. um, and I remember when I was having meetings in the beginning of my career and and you're discussing about a project and, and okay, should we do it? Or should we do it? And, and was in a management position. And then I, I felt that something didn't feel right, mm -hmm. but I didn't have the, all the factual arguments to say, no, we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Although I, f I felt it. So I shut up. At that moment, I shut up and I said, okay, I, I don't have the, the, the full arguments to, yeah. to say we shouldn't do it. And unfortunately, I was right. We yeah. shouldn't have done it. And six, seven months later, you said, shit, <laughs> I shouldn't, yeah. I should have followed my gut feeling. Yeah. Uh, and communicated and your I gut communicated, feeling. Communicated your emotion. Not, not be embarrassed yeah. about the fact that I don't sense it yeah. and that I couldn't put. Uh, but it's not easy because as if you're, you're so much, you're so much educated on explaining on the rational side mm -hmm. with, with A plus B that it should be that and the NPV is there and so everything was green but it was like the, the watermelon eh? yep. everything was green on the outside but on the inside it was red eh? mm -hmm. so um, and and you sense that and now I dare to do that now I dare to say uh, because I learned it eh? because I know that if I sense something uh, I, I say well, guys I don't feel that area let's go back to that let's go so I I, I don't impede myself anymore to it. So it's You're something which isn't natural, yeah. but you f you learn it that it's important to listen to that part of yeah. your 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 reasoning too. So you learn to follow more your intuition and, yeah. and your emotion and, and not intuition only was okay, but it, it, it was a way to express yeah. there to express your intuition yeah. because intuition wasn't seen as rational, wasn't seen as as, as analytically, yeah. and, and that's the way you you, you often get educated in, yeah. in, in school. Eh? And, also. And, very interesting in your profile, I find, is that you have the P at the end, because most of the CIOs that I interview have a big G at the end. They're very judging, plan. and they plan, and they organize, and they take decisions, and they stick to it, and, and, and that's how they are happy. Yeah. But people with a big P at the end, with, with, with are more perceiving, 
they like to keep the options open and, 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 and sometimes delay decisions because they want to keep all the options open. And that's not necessarily uh, easy in, <laughs> in a big organization like that. So how do you manage that? But it's clear that you have to, that's why I say you have to be careful about the extreme interpretations of these, uh, yeah. of these frameworks. Right? Yeah, you of can't course. put people in 16 no, boxes. No, no, no. It would be easy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's all spectrum. It's all man. spectrum. Right? Yeah. So, of course, as an IT, you have to have a part of processes and planning. Mm -hmm. uh, it's undeniable. If not, yeah. you can speak <laughs> mass. Huh? If your night planning on your batches <laughs> isn't <laughs> scheduled, you, you get big trouble. Um, so you won't be a long-lived uh, long CIO. So you obviously have, it's not because you're, you're trying to keep the options open uh, that you don't plan. Yeah. Huh? Okay. I think the what I consider as a difference is I have a plan, but I don't have the plan. Okay. <laughs> so I know where to go. I know where I want to go. That, I think, uh, the, the cap, the, yep. the, 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 the North Star, where I want to go, that I keep, but I'm realistic enough, especially if it, it's profound things, that planning five years ahead what you're going to do quarter per quarter, week by week. And I have been a traditional project manager in my career. Yep. So I have been uh, making detailed work breakdown structures with Gantt charts. Yep. Uh, and the first thing you know if you do that, that the moment your plan is finished, it's outdated. So you need to have it, but don't make it your only <laughs> guidance. Huh? Yep. I think that's the okay. important part. And I think in today's world, it's extremely crucial to keep your options open, as you say, because it goes so fast. I mean, I, I still remember having budget updates in November 2019. Yeah? COVID. Nobody was talking about it. But every, all that update you did for 2020, just three months later, Completely you just changed. put it in the waste bin <laughs> because Start everything again. changed. In your personal life and, in, uh, and also in your professional life, what is it that really drives you? When are you happy? When do you feel good? I'm very curious. Huh? It's, mm -hmm. uh, so I like to try new things. I like to... Uh, learn new things, uh, mm -hmm. like to do new things, discover countries, uh, discover, like a lot of traveling. Uh -huh. uh, I'm also competitive. I huh? uh, played a lot, a lot of sports in my life. And, okay. uh, so competition is something uh, that I, I like. In the beginning, when I was younger, uh, it was really competition to win. Mm -hmm. Now it's more competition for fun. Right? Okay. So it's, if I win or lose, doesn't matter. Uh, in the when I was younger, it was, winning was very important. Huh? Oh, yeah. it was, uh, now, you, with, with age, you, you get a bit more relative. and, yep. and uh, So, yeah, it's the learning new things, discovering new things. Uh. So, it's a perfect environment then to learn many new oh, things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> Do you have a personal mantra, uh, a saying that guides you when you, I don't know, have, need to make yeah. a d difficult decision or so? Yeah. I have one mantra. I, know, I think a lot of people have it. It's carpe diem. Huh? Mm -hmm. Enjoy of, of every moment. Uh, uh, because life can stop every day. I, I love life. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, but a, a bit more um, saying I like a lot is, is from Nelson Mandela. Uh, he said, uh, I never lose. I either, either win or I learn. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's a very important thing I found is that uh, the way you look at things is, uh, and trying things sometimes, I think especially in European cultures, we're very afraid of making mistakes. Mm -hmm. We're very afraid of of, uh, of having a mistake, um, yeah. and I think 
trying to look at it from a different way and, and trying to incorporate that also in, in, no. in a corp corporate culture is, is, I find it very important is to say, okay, I may not get what I wanted, but at least I learned something from no. it and, and have the, the reflex of not regretting that you didn't win, but try force yourself to to say, okay, what have I really learned about it? So, right. um, so that's that's a bridge to my favorite question. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Kun, what is your 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 most brilliant mistake that you ever made? We, I mean, we all do good things, but we yeah. do bad things. We do mistakes, and there's some of the mistakes that we learn. So, what was your most brilliant failure? The most brilliant mistake ever? I think I make a lot of them. <laughs> uh, so, the most brilliant mistake I ever made. Um, making the assumption that your intention is also perceived as such by the other. So it's not because you have the intention mm -hmm. to say something a certain way or that it's necessarily perceived that way by the other. So it's not your intention that counts, it is what it does to the other. Yeah. So I think that's the important learning uh, Important learning where uh, something say things and then they say, okay, I didn't meant that way. But it was one of my volleyball trainers and I was very young who said it to me. I said, it doesn't matter uh, what um, what your intention is, what matters is how it's perceived by the other. So uh, that, are, that is maybe one of the important learning that I learned yeah. and, and mis by making mistakes or saying things in, with a certain intention and mm -hmm. assuming that would be okay while well, it's yeah. not, uh, because it's not perceived that way. Let's go a little bit deeper um, and we want to learn the, the secrets uh, of, of, of you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I want... Um, I'm, I'm convinced that, I mean, top CIOs, top CTOs, top digital leaders, they are there because they are driven by certain uh, opinions, certain convictions, and also certain values. So, so what are the, your core values? What are the values that you live by and, and the values that you, have, that you pass on to your children, for instance? Yeah. First of all, that um, transparency is uh, honesty. Mm -hmm. Uh, but also um, the how should I say the, the fact that nothing is for free. I think um, things don't come for free. You have to go and get them. You have to want them. Uh, if you want to do something which is different, uh, if you want to do something which is tough, get the reward. It doesn't come for free. You have to yeah. work for it. You have to dare to to fall, to stand up, to learn. So. That I think is, is very important. Not be afraid of the of the obstacles. Not be afraid of uh, of getting a bit hurt and still continue to crawl and, and mm -hmm. uh, keep going to where you want to go despite the the counter uh, attacks or the counter yep. uh, fates that you have in. Uh, so you have to go the extra mile. Yeah. Have to, and, yeah. and so that means also that you, you work hard, you yeah. invest a lot of hours and, and passion and energy. And, and how do you relax? How do you, I mean, leave all this behind and yeah. get back to yourself? I, I try to keep, um, and that's very on per a good balance between uh, private life or non-work life mm -hmm. and, and, and work. Because in this kind of job, it's never finished. Yeah. If you can work. 12 hours, you can work 16 hours, you can work 23 hours, it will not be finished. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, at a certain point, uh, you just have to say, okay, this is, this is it huh, for today. Urgent things are not. Yeah. Emergencies, of course, you treat, but you cut uh, at a certain point. So I think that is very important because you don't run, 
it's not a 100 meter sprint. It's a marathon. It's a marathon. Yeah. It's a marathon you run. Yeah. So if if you just get burned, you can get burned by by meetings from eight o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock in the evening if you yeah. want. So um, it's not efficient. Uh, so efficiency is something I, I I take, and I don't know what it is, but I can rather easily. Switch, Switch off. off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you're in business for what is it now? 28 years. <laughs> oh my God, it doesn't make <laughs> us younger. You're, you're getting old, Kun. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 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 that career, who are the important people in in your life? Who are the people that you look up to and that that you have learned from? Who were your important mentors? Yeah, I I am very uh, opportunistic when it comes to learning. So I, I, I learn a, a lot from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I learn from my peers, I learn from my bosses, I learn from my friends. I, uh, I try to, if I see things that I say, oh, it's a good idea, that's, I, I easily pay. So I learn a lot from mm -hmm. a lot of people and uh, I always say I prefer to pick a good idea than invent a bad one myself. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so I do a lot of, uh, of opportunistic learning. Uh, I have a lot of respect. It's maybe another way to for a lot of people also. Um, some that stand out. Yeah, I, I think people uh, uh, had some volleyball coach. Uh, one particular volleyball coach that I appreciated a lot was a very good. Um, uh, was a Brazilian guy with a very good. He was a professor in psychology also. Also, wow. So he combined very well uh, the. the the technical aspects of, of playing volleyball with the psychological aspect mm -hmm. of it. And I think it's, I, I maybe learned a lot in maybe more by doing team sports than by following uh, academic courses. Oh, yeah. uh, I think well, uh, if, if you do team sports at an intensive level uh, where for some people it's their job, um, it's... You see the, the and it's first of all you had diversity of, of, of society in such teams usually mm -hmm. uh, you have uh, all kind of people yep. in there from all kind of origins uh, with uh, important things at stake uh, for some people it's their job so you better win because it makes a big difference um, and then you see true nature coming out because sports is also about passion uh, you don't have the you you lose a lot of your your facade your 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 screen uh, when mm -hmm. you're in a, in a controlled environment, in a business environment, usually people don't get usually too, too much <laughs> emotive. emotive. Yeah. In sports and top it's sports, all about it's all about emotion. It's yeah. adrenaline, it's, it's things. So, so you learn a lot how teams work or don't work uh, because that emotion is much more direct and much more um, explosive. Yeah. Especially if... if if you're young, you not have been exposed to that, to that more professional context. You learn a lot, uh, a lot from that. Yeah. And and other people, I, uh, one of the the guys I have a lot of respect for, and I don't know him personally, but it's Mark Hermans, and the the famous uh, former triathlete yeah. uh, who got a stupid accident and got paralyzed. And if you see the courage that these this guy has to continue to fight for uh, to walk again, uh, yeah. uh, literally, and and in his foundation. You have to be, uh, I mean, this is, uh, have a lot of admiration for people with that courage yeah. and that, uh, because basically you, you lose everything you have. You lose your job, you lose your, 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 your half of your body, half of your body which, yeah. is, which is your job, your, which is yeah. your, 
So I, I think this is very, very, very impressive if you see these guys continue to fight oh. for it, continue to smile, continue to go for it. I'm sure they have difficult moments. I don't doubt about it. But the, I, I find these people impressive. I think that's oh. this I have a lot of respect for. And uh, What's the best thing that ever happened to you in your life? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm an optimist. So, uh, <laughs> no, definitely. I have, have two... Uh, beautiful and healthy twin daughters so okay. uh, that's definitely uh, one of the the nice highlights the highlights of the highlights of, yeah. uh, of one of uh, of one's life huh? mm -hmm. is having uh, happy and, and uh, healthy children so yeah. Yeah. and good health i think yeah. it's uh, it's, it's what, very yeah. what are you scared for what what are what do you fear in your life i'm i'm not somebody who's very quickly scared mm -hmm. um, i think what what everybody's scared of is is, is is something happening to your children. I think this mm -hmm. is uh, natural, I think. Uh, oh. um, but for myself, I'm not somebody who is scared. I, I hope not to get ill. Uh, uh, one day I will probably get. Uh, well, life maybe. is one. Life is... Uh, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come to an end. So that's why I say uh, you don't know when it's going to be, but uh, that's why I think you should benefit from every, uh, yeah. every day and, and, and try to live in... in I always like try to live in the future uh, because that's uh, where we'll spend the rest of our life. Huh? Yeah. So uh, present, the present and the future, not too much in the past, uh, not much, too much regretting uh, mm -hmm. choices you've made. You made them and uh, you live with it and, and yeah. uh, make the best of it. So, and what are you most grateful for in your life? I think my, um, I'm, I'm very grateful about um, the way. I got educated with my uh, my parents and my family. Mm -hmm. um, very uh, come out of a good nest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, as they say. Very. Uh, mm -hmm. They did a lot. They made let me do whatever, not whatever I wanted, but <laughs> because it was it was clear what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. Yeah. But uh, they uh, they let me go to, uh, to to university. They were there. Uh, don't have come out of, of uh, wealthy. Uh, family neither so mm -hmm. my, my father was a teacher my mother took care of us at home and, and took care of the house so it's not that we had uh, we have I have two other brothers so we could all go to to, to college good education yeah. good environment we could do our sports we were supported by that so I think that the environment in which you grow up uh, is, is something you have to be careful with yeah. uh, thankful for and, and careful for also yeah. be careful with um, because it's not it's not something you choose. Huh? It's yeah. something you just luck uh, or bad luck for some people. Yeah. And uh, if you, you get the, the, the luck to come out of a favorable environment, it, it helps you to get through the rest yeah. of your life. So that's something I'm definitely thankful and grateful for. Uh, and the other thing is, is my health. Huh? It's something, another thing you can't control. And some people get ill and touch wood, but uh, so far... Uh, good health and uh, I hope it stays that way so I think you have to be grateful for that because it's, uh, it's, it's maybe yeah, the most important, important thing it's yeah. you only realize it when you don't have it anymore that. in the beginning of this conversation you talked about that you at that one moment had to make the decision if you wanted to go and study medicine or you wanted to go and, uh, and, yeah. and study IT and, and, and business and, and you took the way of IT and business. Now, looking back, yeah. are you happy that you took that way? Or would your dream still be to be, um, to be a doctor and, and cure people and, uh, and have an impact on other yeah. people's lives like that? 
Well, as I said before, just before, <laughs> I, I don't regret choices. Huh? So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would, honestly, I, I would still love to be uh, a doctor. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, I think it's, um, it's not realistic. But then Dr. House, because you want a new cures and you want to find out new things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, I think especially with uh, combining, uh, I, I think it's one of the great breakthroughs that we're going to have in the coming yeah. years. Huh? It's the, the, the combination of medicine or biology uh, yeah. <laughs> and technology uh, is going to be uh, it's going to be huge huh? if you yeah. see the speed at which we developed uh, we uh, people <laughs> not me developed the vaccines uh, it's a combination of, of fundamental research in, in biology how a, a, adn uh, dna yeah. works uh, it's uh, it's a combination of, of uh, it and technology uh, crispr uh, yeah. developments I think this is going to be huge, huge acceleration, and, and uh, the, the, yeah, the quality of the life, the real life of people will will, will evolve uh, yeah. in the coming years. At the and it's again that combination of technologies of of IT uh, networking, uh, biotech, that combines into something which will. Yeah. If only we could live another hundred years, and well, I think we'll, we will very. <laughs> Closely get, if, I think if, I didn't look at it, but I think if you look at the, the life expectancy, uh, <laughs> at a certain point, we will come to a point that uh, if life expectancy is increasing every year, one year. Yeah. Well, some, <laughs> some people even believe that that is something that we can cure, that, that, is, that we can overcome, that some people will live forever. Well, well I'm, I'm not sure that that's a good idea, but uh, anyway. It will, it will create <laughs> other questions. <laughs> Many other questions. So, Kuhn, we're coming to the end of this yep. uh, interview, this conversation. Thank you so much already. You're uh, now, this, uh, people that are watching this interview are... Um, Many of them are young, ambitious professionals that want to build a, a great career as a digital leader. Yeah. And so with, with your insight and your experience, what, what's the advice that you would give to these ambitious young professionals? I think it's, it's one of the key, key questions is how do you get young people, especially young uh, girls or young women, Mm -hmm. into technology. I think uh, if, if you look at what's happening in Europe compared to other uh, continents, we have a, a underrepresentation of women in, in tech studies, uh, yep. if you can put it this way, and tech jobs. Uh, if, if you see that growth and, and, and evolution is driven by tech, we have a problem in Europe. Uh, because yep. if you have only, I think it's about 30% max uh, of, of women into these more technical jobs uh, compared to if you look Asia it's 50-50 uh, other areas it's also the same thing mm -hmm. it's normal representation men women yeah. there's no reason why uh, there should be one one sex being more represented than the other um, I think it's a fundamental economical problem besides the diversity in the teams I think it's also a fundamental economical problem for growth in the European area is not having enough capacity and, and uh, brains working in volume, but on on these growth areas for tomorrow. Yeah. So, I think young people getting in IT, and I know it's very difficult for understanding for people who have never worked in a company and, and never. Uh, if you're 16 years old and they ask you what to do, I wanted to to be. <laughs> The guy collecting the garbage when I was three years old because I found it fun being in. <laughs> so when I saw them passing behind, beside my home behind the, the vans, I found it fun. So yeah. because that's what I saw. IT 
and what you can do with it is not usually not known mm -hmm. by 16-year-old by people. Oh. Yes, they, they can use uh, the digital natives, but how it's constructed, how it's worked, it's what you can really do, and all the other things they can't see on an iPhone or on, or on a tablet, uh, they don't know about. Uh, and and it's, I think there's a real gap to be closed, and, and I think it's also one of the efforts we're doing here is trying to um, talk to schools, get them hands-on, invite them to that, to create their curiosity, not giving the image of what I said before, no. uh, the, the, the IT guy, boring work in the basement with old no. technology. Time is over. That time is over. And no. I think creating that, that image of, uh, uh, I think doing these studies and, and going to that, into that uh, domain of work and uh, of, of IT is, is really, really contributing to the, to the future. It, it makes a difference these days. Uh, no. it's, uh, and it will make a difference in the future. It will be, I think, more than ever a key uh, area. Um, so I think if, as, a, as a young person, if you want to make a difference, it's a good area to start working yeah. in. Don't become a doctor. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I think we still need doctors, but I say become an IT savvy doctor. That yeah, would be great. That would be great. <laughs> and with that, Kun, I would like to thank you for your time, for thank your you, insights, Henrik. for sharing yes. all, the, all your ideas, visions, and so on. It was really a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.